G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast contains coarse language, references to violence, sexual abuse, and murder, and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. Previously, on Who Killed Leanne Holland. So before we go any further, we raise the question, is Pete just a pedophile, or did he progress to murder? We don't know. His family say he's a killer. Let's look at the evidence. How did you meet Leanne? I was forbidden to have any contact with Leanne. I had um, a nickname for Leanne by the name of HJ. They told me that during the Leanne Holland murder, detectives were there every day and their father was telling them what they should do next. He handed me a manila folder and told me to have a look that this is what happens to little girls that don't do what they're told. The general would be taken from prison to the police station where he changed clothes in his own locker, naturally marked the general, and then went out into the community. What kind of burns were they? Well, they were small burns. And I asked her, I said, what's this on your arm? And she said, shrugged it off. She said, oh, I was just knocking out a friend and told me there were cigarette burns. And I said, well, that's really silly. Seriously, you couldn't make this shit up. Do you know who those young men were? Um, they lived across the road and up a little bit. The owner of the car lived there. And there's claims that he took both Melissa Holland and Leanne Holland on trips with him in that truck. He hit her so hard across the face that he deafened her. He's damaged all the nerves. And she was about six or seven. A 610 Media production. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland. Hello, I'm Graham Crowley. Welcome to Chapter 13 of Who Killed Leanne Holland? The Pub Test. My co-host, Jamie Poltz, has had sinus surgery. He is recovering well, but he sounds like Daffy Duck. I am a duck, bent on self-preservation Wabbit season! Duck season! Wabbit season! Wabbit season! Duck season! Fire! So we decided not to put you through that. He will just do the behind the scenes stuff this chapter and we'll be back for chapter 14. In fact, my wife and I are going travelling shortly through Western Queensland, so Jamie will be guiding you through chapter 14. As you will recall in the previous two chapters, 
We discussed the three alternate suspects that came to our attention and three darker characters you could not find in one place at one time. Sean McFedron, Mark Thomas Noble and Pedophile Pete. This chapter we talk about the long-awaited police review and we go into some depth into that. But it's important to explain some things about why we have waited so long to talk about it. But before we get to that, feedback. Wow, where do we start? We have had more feedback on Chapter 12 than all the previous chapters combined. We could spend an entire chapter just talking about the feedback, but unfortunately we do not have the time to do that. There was, however, a common theme in the feedback we received. There was support for what we're trying to do here, that is to identify Leanne Holland's killer and bring him to justice or bring them to justice. Frustration at the police refusing to release the review and anger at the injustice of it all. There were some interesting comments. One listener claimed Sean McFedron did smoke and liked to give smileys with cigarette lighters. That adds a whole new dimension to the case. We have never considered or explored that possibility. Another listener queried Trisha Lynch's stepfather and why she felt the need to stay away for a week at a time. Unfortunately, they left town within three months of the murder and we had no opportunity to explore that avenue. Another listener queried Melissa Holland never ever giving an interview to anyone. Well, that's Melissa's right. We respect her privacy and that is why we're not using her married name. However, Melissa, if you are listening, we would love to hear from you. To those who have signed the petition, thank you. We think it is important. If you haven't signed the petition, but you are thinking of doing so, please do so. Now, to the police review. The subject and contents of the police review has been commented on a number of times during the podcast and has been the subject of a number of feedback questions. We felt it was important to explain the background and circumstances of the case before jumping into the police review, and that's why it has taken us 12 chapters to get here. So what did the police review find? The review found that Graham Stafford did murder Leanne Holland. He acted alone. He killed her in the bathroom of the house at 70A Alice Street. He disposed of the body in the boot of his car. The maggot was not planted in the boot of his car. His car was at the body disposal site. Pedophile Pete was not at the body disposal site with detectives. Leanne Holland did not have cigarette burns on her. They were decomposition marks. Leanne was not the victim of picarism. They too were decomposition marks. The case was closed and no further police action was required. What a very fortunate outcome for the Queensland Police. Just imagine for a moment the consequences if the review had found that Graham Stafford did not kill Leanne Holland. There would have been a massive media coverage and a lot of questions directed to the Queensland Police as to how they got it so terribly wrong. A murderer running free, an innocent man sentenced to 15 years imprisonment. With allegations of planting evidence in a murder case and claims of perjury at the committal proceedings and Supreme Court trial, we think it would have sparked another Fitzgerald-style inquiry. Most Queenslanders would be aware of the Fitzgerald inquiry. Our overseas listeners would not, 
and perhaps many Australians have forgotten the significant impact it had on Queensland and Queenslanders. For Queenslanders, Tony Fitzgerald is a household name, the man who headed the famous Fitzgerald Corruption Inquiry that brought down the Bielke-Peterson government after 32 years in power and ended in prison terms for three former government ministers and the state's police commissioner. The Fitzgerald Commission into Police Corruption wound up in 1989, just two years before the murder of Leanne Holland. And what spectacular results it had. The inquiry resulted in the resignation of the Premier, that's our state head of government, the calling of two by-elections, the jailing of three former ministers of the Crown, the jailing of the police commissioner and some other very senior police, as well as a number of rank-and-file members. Other police resigned to avoid prosecution. It also contributed to the end of the National Party of Australia's 32-year run as the governing political party in Queensland. The Fitzgerald Inquiry had a huge impact on the Queensland Police Service, which can be still felt today. It was feared by some and welcomed by many. We know the Queensland Police are extremely defensive about the review report, and we wonder why that is. So we ask the question, does the police review pass the pub test? Let's explore that question and hopefully provide a pass or a fail. How did we get to the police review? By 2010, there was a groundswell of concern in the community about this case. A lot of disquiet. There had been ongoing media coverage of it for years. Rarely a week went past without Greg Carey of Radio 4BC interviewing someone in relation to the case. Graham Stafford's conviction had been quashed. No one had been held accountable for the murder. There were serious concerns regarding the original police investigation. In response to all this, Police Commissioner Atkinson announced there would be a review of the original investigation. He was interviewed on Radio 4BC regarding the matter in a total of three occasions. On 1 April 2010, Greg Carey interviewed him again, and Atkinson was clearly reluctant to review the case. Looking back, I wished I'd recorded the interview. I did listen to it, and I took notes. It was evident Atkinson was very negative in his answers. His mind appeared to be made up. Graham Stafford was guilty of murder. Here are some of the notes I took. Atkinson mentioned on three occasions during the interview that no admissible evidence pointed to anyone else involved apart from Graham Stafford. A lot of claims had been made, but no evidence had been presented. He would not agree to the suggestion that Graham Stafford was innocent. He pointed out that Queensland police do not have to reinvestigate just because of an acquittal. Greg Carey informed him of the three alternate suspects. Atkinson answered to indicate no one else was implicated in the commission of the crime. Again, he stated, there were many claims and accusations, but no evidence had been presented. Queensland Police had reviewed the book Who Killed Leanne Holland, written by myself and Paul Wilson, and he added that if there was anything beyond the book, we were more than welcome to make it available. That's interesting because the contents of the book form the basis for the successful appeal against the conviction, but his position appeared to be that there was no evidence in it. But I can understand that. The book portrayed his department in a poor light, and he was merely protecting the Queensland police image. Commissioner Atkinson disputed the maggot evidence had been planted, stating there was a very senior police officer present when the maggot was found in the boot of Graham Stafford's car. Curiously, perhaps mischievously, Atkinson did not mention the same very senior police officer was the subject of a Crime and Misconduct Commission report in 2009, 
dangerous liaisons, which we referred to in the last chapter, where the police officer had been transferred to Rockhampton. And we discussed the prisoner, nicknamed the General, serving life imprisonment and having his own locker at the Rockhampton Police Station. After the interview, I was concerned that the Police Commissioner ordering review with such a negative attitude was not a good start. However, he did say the inquiry would be open, accountable and available to all, which did hearten me. In hindsight, I consider it was also a clever move to say the Queensland Police would conduct a review of the original investigation and not a reinvestigation of the murder. Is there a difference? Absolutely. There are many definitions of review. Here is one. To re-examination judicially or administratively. A judicial reconsideration for purpose of correction, for example, the examination of a case by an appellate court. Here is a definition of reinvestigation. To investigate, brackets, something, again. What did I expect the police review would find? I was very positive that the review would get to the bottom of the many concerns a lot of people had about the original investigation. I believed Queensland Police would realise that there had been a miscarriage of justice, that the killer of Leanne Holland had not been arrested and that Graham Stafford had been wrongly accused and the matter would be resolved. I was invited to a meeting at police headquarters in 2010. I was asked to provide any and all information that I had gathered, and I did. I cooperated fully and openly. As we have said in the podcast, I listed the alternate suspects. I told them of my findings about the maggot in the boot and my suspicions it had been planted. I suggested Queensland Police offer indemnity against criminal prosecution toward one of their officers in exchange for the truth about the original investigation. I told them of my suspicions of inappropriate involvement of the person pedophile Pete with police detectives. The discussion lasted perhaps two hours or a bit less. After that 2010 meeting, at no time was I ever approached to clarify any information I provided or supply any further information. A detective did attend and collect some documents discussed in the meeting, but that was it. Later, after the review had been completed, one of the main investigators commented publicly that Queensland Police worked closely with Graham Crowley during the police review. I absolutely deny that comment. I question the motive for saying it. Seriously, why would they even need to say that? We now know Queensland Police deny pedophile Pete was at the body disposal dump site, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, and an admission by one of their own that he was there. When the review was completed in 2012, I called the Queensland Police and requested information on the outcome of the review. My request was refused and I was informed no information would be released. They would not give a reason for their refusal. So much for working closely. In August 2012, Police Commissioner Atkinson wrote to the DPP. He said in part, The following comments are recorded by a voice actor. The review into this matter has resulted in over 300 persons being interviewed. It has been determined the last credible sighting of Leanne Holland occurred at about 10.15am on the 23rd of September 1991. Ms Holland was seen walking in the direction of her home address in clothing identical to what was found on her body when she was located deceased. The location of this sighting was approximately 100 metres away from her home in a location next door to where her paternal grandmother resided. The forensic review found... Leanne Holland had applied peroxide bleach to her hair but had not been able to fully spread the bleach through her hair before the process inexplicably ceased. This has been confirmed by a microscopic and chemical examination of Leanne Holland's hair. 
It was Leanne Holland's stated desire to bleach her hair on the 23rd of September 1991 with the assistance of Graham Stafford. A new shower curtain was hanging in the bathroom of Leanne Holland's house. The curtain, which had been hanging for about two weeks, was examined in 1991 and found to have multiple spots of human blood. However, technology could not then identify the blood group due to the small size of the spots. New DNA tests conducted has confirmed some of the blood projected onto the curtain belongs to Leanne Holland. A pattern was evident on Leanne Holland's left buttock and thigh. This had not been identified in 1991, but was evident in photographs taken at the time. The pattern was found to be identical to the boot mat of a Holden Gemini maker vehicle. The Gemini boot mat was unique to that make and model of vehicle. Graham Stafford had a Holden Gemini vehicle. Leanne Holland's blood has also been confirmed by DNA analysis in 2007 as being present in the three locations within the boot of that vehicle. A written record by a work experience student confirmed the presence of the maggot in the boot of Graham Stafford's vehicle. The record in the student's work experience diary was recalled by extended memories of the student's estranged family and full meteorological records were obtained as opposed to only maximum and minimum temperatures used in 1991. A detailed examination of these records along with entomological research has determined the approximate time of death was 23rd of September 1991. At the conclusion of the review, the Queensland Police Service's position is that it is in the public interest again to further prosecute Graham Stafford for Leanne Holland's murder. Queensland Police held a media conference the same year that informed the following. Now police have closed the case without a conviction. Graham Stafford, the man originally accused of the crime, will not face a retrial for her murder. Ursula Hager was at the police media conference this afternoon and she joins us now. Ursula, this is despite new evidence. Yes, that's right. Graham Stafford's conviction for murder was quashed in 2009 and it was after that the police decided to conduct a review into their original murder investigation. Now that review has been returned and it has uncovered new evidence, a number of new witnesses and forensic evidence that police say is consistent with their original case that Graham Stafford was guilty of the murder of Leanne Holland. That review in fact recommended to the DPP to retry Stafford for the murder but the DPP has made the decision that it is not in the public's interest to retry this case. He put out a statement this afternoon listing some of his reasons. He says that Stafford has already served his sentence and that nearly 20 years has passed since the offence occurred and that that could have adversely affected some of the evidence. Here's what police had to say about this a little earlier today. Our response after the, after the review was uh, undertaken by our people and the peer review was to recommend that Stafford be retried. That is not the decision of the uh, Director of Public Prosecutions, but we respect that decision based on the reasoning that he's provided. There was not a scintilla of evidence that identifies any other person involved in this investigation. So what is actually contained in the police review report? You've already heard some segments of it contained in a podcast created by Channel 7 and which we have broadcast. And we broadcast more in this chapter. Neither Jamie nor I have read the review, so we have been careful not to speculate about its contents, but rather we're using information about the contents gleaned from various sources. I have read the summary of the police review, which was a lengthy document. I was not permitted to take notes, photograph it, photocopy it or otherwise record it. 
A journalist hovered whilst I read it and the cameras were rolling. I have no recollection of the specifics of the report other than it mentioned more forensic evidence implicating Graham Stafford as the killer. Some blood in the bathroom, marks on the deceased body identical with the mat in his boot, but very little else, and there was a reason for that. I was offered the opportunity to read the entire report. It's almost 600 pages. That would have taken me at least a week or more to read it, digest it, and become familiar with it. So I'm relying solely on my memory from eight years ago. But just to explain, I was asked to attend Channel 7 Studios to tape an interview for a story they were doing on the case. They did not tell me they had the police review until I was sitting down with the cameras focused on me and recording. Was I ambushed? Absolutely. Did it put me off balance? Definitely. I understand they were just doing their job, but it did make me very unsettled. Did I feel under pressure to answer questions? Most assuredly. Did I have time to digest the contents of the report? No, I didn't. The funny thing is, if they had told me before I went there that they had the review, I would still have gone. Why wouldn't I? I knew the outcome. I'd seen the police media release five years earlier, but it could have been handled more professionally by Channel 7. I've been asked a number of times by listeners whether I agreed with Channel 7 journalist that the evidence against Graham Stafford being the killer was compelling. Yes, I did. I own that statement. I can tell you it wasn't pleasant agreeing with the findings of the police review, but I did. No doubt about it. Do I still agree with the findings? No, I do not. Some days after that interview, I had an opportunity to speak with Joe Crowley, who had had an opportunity to peruse the review, and you will hear from him shortly. And as you have heard earlier in this podcast, the original police brief of evidence against Graham Stafford being the killer was damning. So much forensic evidence and circumstantial evidence implicating him. Judges described it as a compelling forensic and circumstantial case. And then it wasn't. A house of cards was a more accurate description. But let's be clear. At this point in time, the police review is compelling evidence that Graham Stafford is the offender. We have previously highlighted many, many problems and issues with the original brief. The Queensland Police are assuring us that all those problems have been clarified and eliminated and we are left with the irrefutable fact that Graham Stafford is the offender and that we can trust them. What could possibly go wrong? Personally, I'd prefer to know that investigators, lawyers and journalists have confirmed what the contents of the review hold and I'd prefer also that the document end up in a court of law, perhaps a coroner's court. Channel 7 produced a podcast from the contents of the police report Here are excerpts from that podcast relating to the contents of the report. The review team sought help from a group of experts called the Australian Forensic Reference Group. It's made up of people from a range of different disciplines, including pathologists, toxicologists, forensic psychiatrists, and many other specialties to provide opinions on difficult cases. Twelve people sat on the reference group meeting to examine details from the Holland case. Dr. Michael Burke examined the post-mortem and determined... The head wounds would bleed briskly, but the blood is likely to be caught with the deceased's thick hair. Another pathologist, Dr. Shelley Robertson, also commented... The nature of the injuries sustained by the deceased would lead to considerable blood loss. Autopsy photos show blood had soaked and matted into Leanne's hair. But how much blood that would have been lost from her injury is considered impossible to measure. 
The Forensic Reference Group also provided insight into other elements of the case. These are their opinions. What do the injuries suggest with respect to the offender's motivation? The positioning of the body, the torn, cut underpants and the stab wound to the perineum all suggest that this was a sexual homicide. Sexual homicide is an act of control, dominance and performance that is representative of an underlying fantasy embedded with violence, sexuality and death. The stab-like injury to the perineum was perimortem, very close to the time of death. A stab injury to this part of the body is extremely rare where such a stab wound has been inflicted. The alternative interpretation is that the stab injury, underpants and the dump site have been staged. The state of decomposition is consistent with death occurring three days prior to the body being discovered. It is not likely that the body was left in a car boot for three days, nor that it was wrapped in a shower curtain for days. The body had been significantly exposed to the elements. It had not been wrapped or had been inadequately wrapped for some time, possibly only wrapped for the transport period. Finally, there is more than one witness that has stated that more than one car was observed at the body dump site. In my opinion, this is one area of the investigation that to date has not been completed as thoroughly as it may otherwise have been. The police working on the review noticed a grid-like pattern on Leanne's left buttock. A further pattern was found on Leanne's right buttock from a photograph taken during the autopsy. And a similar pattern was printed in blood on Leanne's right leg. None of the patterns were commented on by any of the examiners in the original investigation. Police ruled out patterns from the stretcher her body was placed on by the funeral home and at the morgue. The review team compiled a list of 16 persons of interest generated from tip-offs to Crime Stoppers, the 1991 investigation and through information gathered in the review. Some of these people we've mentioned before Sean McFedrin, who confessed to the murder of 12-year-old goodness schoolgirl Julianne Lowe. The police informant we call Steve, who was later convicted of sexually abusing his daughter. And a man known as James, who said he dumped a body of a girl in Goodna, near Beehives. The list also included Leanne's dad, Terry Holland, and Graham Stafford. One by one, the persons of interest were eliminated. One was in prison in September 1991. Another would have only been a young schoolboy who still lived with his parents. Several other persons of interest didn't have a driver's license or even access to a car, or they only owned motorcycles and couldn't have dumped Leanne's body in the bushland where it was found. Several of the anonymous tip-offs turned out to be vexatious or unsubstantiated complaints from members of the public. The review team found there was no link between McFedrin and Leanne. The man known as James was found to have had possible connections to an unsolved murder of a prostitute in southeast Queensland in the early 90s. He's currently on parole after being jailed for a murder committed in 2005 in Tasmania. Terry Holland had a solid alibi. He was at work when Leanne went missing. And the evidence against Steve primarily came from his daughter Kim. 
The review team interviewed her over several days and found that nearly every point she relied on to justify her father being a suspect was proven to be incorrect or she had changed her statement completely. The man known the man known I'm not gonna the consequences or the responsibility for something I haven't done and I haven't towards any of this. And that's what I told Graham. The review team found there was no link between McFedrin and Leanne. The man known as James was found to have had possible connections to an unsolved murder of a prostitute in southeast Queensland in the early 90s. He's currently on parole after being jailed for a murder committed in 2005 in Tasmania. Terry Holland had a solid alibi. He was at work when Leanne went missing. And the evidence against Steve primarily came from his daughter Kim. The review team interviewed her over several days and found that nearly every point she relied on to justify her father being a suspect was proven to be incorrect or she had changed her statement completely. The review went further and recommended the Director of Public Prosecutions consider prosecuting Kim for offences including perjury, fabricating evidence, attempting to pervert the course of justice, false verified statements or declarations. No action has been taken. Steve was eliminated as a possible suspect. Out of the list of the 16 persons of interest, the review team eliminated 15. Only one remained. I know I didn't murder Leanne. Hand on heart. Barrister Joe Crowley was allowed some three hours to read the report. Again, no notes, no photocopying, no photos, and a journalist was supervising. And to clarify that, we did not know it at the time, but each copy of the review, some ten in total, were independently marked somehow. If any of them were leaked, it would be easy to identify who the leaker was. And that's why we were not allowed to take notes or photocopy. The Channel 7 reporters were complicit in keeping the identity of the leaker secret. I recently had a conversation with Joe Crowley about the contents of the report, and here's what he had to say. I also asked him about the contents of the letter by former Commissioner Atkinson to the DPP. Joe, Channel 7 let you read the police review. Can you give us your thoughts on the report, please? Uh, sure, Graham. I looked at two documents. One was the executive summary, um, which I think you've all also seen, and I read that. Uh, that was only a couple of pages. I read that completely, and then later on, obviously, I went up to Channel 7, um, and they allowed me to look at the complete 500-page report. Uh, so I spent about three hours looking over the report. It's 500 pages, so I didn't read the entire thing. Um, but because I'd read the executive summary, I had uh, an idea of what I wanted to look for. Uh, and so I looked at some of the new evidence that they'd found um, and just to see in more detail exactly what the, uh, the scientists had uh, um, organised, exactly what they had said. Uh, and I found there was a real inconsistency between what was said in the executive summary uh, and what, ex- what in fact the, uh, the scientists had found when they did these different tests. So one of the things that uh, they had in the report was this uh, blood splatter pattern on the shower curtain and the executive summary described it just as that as a splatter pattern, um, 60 spots of blood 
but there's when you actually looked at what the scientists said, they said a couple of things. One, they said they couldn't tell if it was a splatter pattern or not because they couldn't work out the direction of the drops because they couldn't actually see the drops. They're just, you know, spots that are testing positive to a preliminary test. And the, the preliminary test is luminol and that's um, a test's got some problems with it. You need to always do a subsequent test to check whether the uh, what it detects as blood is actually blood. And, in fact, when you looked at the, the report itself, uh, it turned out the scientists couldn't tell whether these 60 spots were blood or not. Uh, so, you know, that evidence I, wasn't particularly persuasive. One of these spots on the shower curtain they did a, a, a fresh DNA test on and they'd identified that as being blood. And, in fact, they identified it, they said, through this DNA test as being Leanne Holland's blood. That of itself is not particularly... Um, important since they have found other spots of blood in the bathroom and the you know that's consistent with ordinary household use but I mean even that test even that um, spot that they found uh, they said that it was Leanne Hollands because they could exclude her father Terry and her sister Melissa but they never um, considered her brother uh, Craig Holland who also had been in that bathroom um, and so, in fact, they can't, uh, um, as it stands, identify this new spot of blood as being Leanne's because it could also be her brother's. One of the uh, interesting aspects of the um, review was this idea of peroxiding. Uh, Leanne had peroxided her hair. Uh, the um, executive summary of the report had said that the she had been peroxiding her hair on the day that she was murdered and that quote, the process inex- was inexplicably ceased. That sounded to me when I read it in the executive summary a bit strange because having dealt with some um, expert evidence before, I, uh, you know, I'm aware that scientists don't like to be definitive uh, unless they really are really sure. And so I, I was looking to see whether a scientist actually used the phrase inexplicably ceased because that seems to import some kind of a, an opinion into it that isn't necessarily borne out by the facts. And that's exactly what I found. I found that the scientists didn't say that at all. They said that the process of peroxiding had at some point been stopped, but that they couldn't even identify exactly when Leanne had peroxided her hair and they certainly couldn't identify that it occurred on the day that she was murdered. Um, I looked also um, at some of the evidence. They had taken the maggot that had been alleged to have been found in the boot of Graham Stafford's car and done some further tests on it. Uh, They'd sent it off to the United States to be tested over there. Uh, uh, Interestingly, the... um, Scientists over there who tested it found that it had no human DNA in its crop or in its mouth. So uh, that tends to suggest that if the maggot was in the boot of the car, um, then it certainly wasn't from the body of Leanne Holland and therefore is really irrelevant to the case. Despite that, they also had evidence that there was a work experience student who happened to be at the uh, house uh, at uh, Alice Street when the police scientists were taking all the tests back in 1991 uh, and that work experience student said that she was there when the police scientist says he found the maggot in the boot and she says she saw that maggot in the boot. That is information that nobody has never come out before, interestingly enough, despite the fact that the maggot has been a, um, a source of concern for the defence since uh, way back in the 1997 appeal it was first raised uh, no uh, no at no time since then has the 
Queensland Police Service produced this work experience student. Anyway, she has now appeared um, and she was a work experience student back in uh, 1991. So I was interested to see something about this um, person. It turns out she's now a serving police officer. So I thought that was uh, also interesting. One of the primary things that I was interested in is how the report dealt with the evidence that Leo Freeney gave back in 1997. He was a police scientist who had uh, looked at all of the material collected at the house and given an affidavit for the um, appeal in 1997, saying that in his opinion the murder uh, did not occur in the house and that the body was never placed in the boot. And he said that because there just wasn't enough evidence to support that. Particularly, he talked about the um, blood and the lack of um, blood uh, that was found in the house uh, and in the boot. So I was really interested to see when I looked at the review how they dealt with that evidence because that um, seemed to be crucial. And uh, at no stage in the 500 pages did uh, it ever really, really grapple with that at all. It never even attempted to. It mentioned that uh, Leo Freni had given an affidavit, but that was it. Uh, and uh, so, so in, and in fact, the evidence that they found really goes the other way. It, it seeks to prove exactly the opposite of what Leo Freni said without ever uh, contradicting anything he said. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. After we, when, when I looked at the executive summary, I was told that I couldn't keep a copy of it and I had to hand it back as soon as I'd read it. I was allowed to make notes on it, which is something that um, lawyers like to do, and I it helps me uh, remember things. So I had, I'd had i underlined it and scribbled a few things in the margins um, of, of the executive summary, but then I handed it back to um, the journalists prior to the interview. Um, so I didn't have any um, notes about what was in it, but what I did was uh, prepared a, an affidavit, a sworn affidavit, um, which set out from my memory, what was in that um, executive summary and also what I saw when I went up to Channel 7 and looked at the actual report itself. So um, I wanted to get something down on paper to give me, a, um, you know, a, a good idea of what was in there because at that stage we you know, and, and still now we, ha- we haven't got a copy of the report. So I really had in mind the idea that we might need to, um, you know, if we could start analysing the scientific evidence based on um, what I'd remembered. Uh, Here is one of the paragraphs from my uh, sworn affidavit. I spent three hours reviewing the 500-odd page reinvestigation report. It is interesting that at no point does it discredit or subvert the evidence given in 1997 by police scientist Leo Freeney. In 2009, Justice Holmes, as she then was, said Mr Freeney's evidence comprehensively demolished the theory that Leanne Holland was killed at her Goodner home. Justice Keane said, on the basis of this evidence, it was demonstrably unlikely that the deceased had been killed at her home and the bleeding body put in the boot of the car. The material in the report does not detract from those findings. In relation to the house, the report merely establishes that at some time before she was murdered, Leanne Holland put peroxide on part of her hair and that a spot of blood on the shower curtain had been DNA matched to her. 
evidence that the body had a checkered pattern, which was very similar to a pattern that appeared on the boot mat of the Holden Gemini, does not explain why there was negligible blood in the boot. As to the maggot, the report demonstrates that it had no human DNA in it, which indicates that it was not from the body of Leanne Holland. In all, the report does not impeach the evidence of Leo Freeney and does not provide evidence of Graham Stafford's guilt. Uh, I've read the letter of the uh, then Police Commissioner Bob Atkinson to the um, Director of Public Prosecutions where Commissioner Atkinson's outline five of what I assume is um, the best points from the um, review. The first one's in relation to the peroxide of Leanne's hair uh, and that she had been um, peroxiding her hair on the day that she was murdered and that process had inexplicably ceased. The scientific evidence actually gathered by the police in the review does not say that. All it identifies is that at some point prior to being murdered, she had been peroxiding her hair and that it seems that process had not been completed. That evidence doesn't really take the prosecution case anywhere. The second point that... uh, former Commissioner Atkinson identifies, is the spot of blood on the shower curtain, which has been um, DNA tested to Leanne. The fact that there's blood in a, in a bathroom is not, uh, if there's only spots of it, is not particularly um, uh, nefarious. Um, everybody has spots of blood in their bathroom. They probably don't know it, but they would if a scientist went in and checked. So the fact that there's one spot of blood referable to Leanne Holland on a shower curtain is really neither here nor there. But let's uh, address it in any way. They say that they DNA tested it to Leanne Holland, but in fact, if you look at what the report says, uh, they never excluded her brother Craig Holland. So it could be Craig Holland's blood or it could be Leanne Holland's blood. Um, The other issue that with that DNA test, I I can't recall the name of it now, but at the time I I remembered the particular process they used and I asked a friend of mine who's an expert in DNA and he said that that process was used for very old samples and that it was notoriously unreliable, obviously, because the samples are old um, and certainly shouldn't be used in court proceedings. So I think there's some significant problems with that um, evidence, but even taken at its highest that there's a spot of Leanne Holland's blood in her bathroom. It doesn't really advance the prosecution case anywhere. Um, The evidence, the the third one that uh, former Commissioner Atkinson identifies is this um, chequered pattern uh, that was found on uh, the body of Leanne Holland on her left buttock and her thigh. Uh, And that had been identified from photographs of her body. Um, And they said they said that it was identical to the mat in the boot of the Holden Gemini. Well, when I actually looked at the review, it didn't say that at all. There's a, the, the Queensland Police had gone to a lot of trouble to try and determine what the um, pattern on the mat in the boot of the Gemini looked like for a start because the Holden Gemini itself doesn't exist anymore. The, um, uh, and the police did try to find it, but they couldn't. So they actually wrote away to the manufacturers um, in... Um, uh, in Japan, from recollection, uh, trying to determine what the pattern was on the boot mat of the Gemini from the 1980s. Uh, and from recollection, the manufacturers came back and said that the boot mat may, they identified what it probably looked like, I think is as high as they put it, but they certainly wouldn't, um, you know, con- con- conclusively say that this particular checkered pattern was on the boot mat in the Holden Gemini. So there's that problem with it. But assuming that the assuming that the boot mat does have this checkered pattern, um, then they have to identify that um, that checkered pattern matches the um, one on Leanne Holland. And although um, 
uh, former Commissioner Atkinson says that the pattern was identical. That's not, in fact, what the pathologist says in the report. Um, it's, I think they use the term similar to um, the, the pattern between the boot mat and the mark that's on um, Leanne Holland's buttocks and left thigh. But the other issue they have with that is they have to identify when that pattern uh, was put there because it, it would only be relevant if it was put there when Leanne Holland's dead body was put into the boot of the car. And um, checkered patterns uh, may have got onto her prior to that point because um, she may, for example, have sat on a, a chair with a particular checkered pattern or uh, something along those lines. So that the whole checkered pattern on the buttocks uh, evidence I found uh, unconvincing. Um, certainly, it was not as um, as definitive as um, you know is said uh, by. Um, former Commissioner Atkinson, in his letter. The final point that uh, retired Commissioner Atkinson made in his letter to the DPP was the meteorological records that they had obtained and then given to entomologists to do a further calculation on the time of death. They have identified... Commissioner Atkinson puts it as high as this, that the approximate time of death was the 23rd of September 1991. That is far from um, uh, useful to the prosecution case because they don't need an approximate time of death, they need an exact time of death. And more importantly, they don't just need an exact time of death on the 23rd of September, they need an exact time of death either in the morning, in the one, uh, one and a half hours that Graham Stafford has to commit the murder, or in the afternoon when he has a, a further short period of time. If it falls outside of either of those periods, then then um, he can't be the murderer because he's in company with other people. So um, I don't think that the you know the time of death, the new in inverted commas time of death evidence, takes the case anywhere really. Um, and entomologists I've spoken to have said that their um, their time of death estimates are just that estimates and and really shouldn't a lot of weight shouldn't be um, placed on them. They're helpful as I understand, um, if you need to work out that somebody died, uh, you know, on one day or another day, but um, really if you need them to identify when during a particular day somebody died, the entomological evidence really isn't going to help you. Some may say it was a very clever ploy to release the report to a friendly media outlet. This murder case had a huge media following. Most senior journalists in Queensland and many in other states, knew of the case. Many journalists had written stories on it or covered it for television programs. The Queensland Police were, and still are, desperate to prevent the release of the document to anyone, including Graham Stafford or his lawyers, despite the court ordering them to do so. But one of their rank was keen to leak the report to a media outlet that would not, and could not, question the accuracy of the report. What is generally not understood is that Channel 7 was conned. They were scammed or conveniently allowed themselves to be conned by a senior member of the Queensland Police or DPP in a classic case of media manipulation. Investigative journalists became nothing more than a QPS media propaganda outlet. The police report is an untested document. It is the police position on the case. Its contents accuracy, the nature of the investigation conducted and more importantly not conducted and conclusions reached have not been subject to scrutiny by anyone, particularly lawyers and investigators and certainly not by a court of law. Just as the original police brief had not been tested, 
until after Graham Stafford's conviction. If the Channel 7 journalists found even one discrepancy with the report, and they would have, for sure, they could not query or challenge it with the Queensland Police. Imagine the telephone call. Hello, Queensland Police? I'd like to ask some questions regarding a report that was illegally leaked to our television station. That was just never going to happen. Channel 7 thought they were onto a good story. A sensational story. A murderer who refused to accept that he was a killer. The final word on a long-running and controversial case. What they were actually doing was broadcasting the Queensland Police storyline that Graham Stafford was the killer. And by doing so, we were effectively shutting down public debate. They were just puppets. Debate that was a continual source of annoyance and frustration to persons within Queensland Police who wanted nothing more than for the case to go away. And the manipulation worked spectacularly. After Channel 7 story aired, journalists around the country deserted the story in droves. It was commonly accepted that Graham Stafford was a killer. Most journalists now avoid the case and younger journalists have little knowledge of it. There was nothing to see here. What else can we say about the report at this stage? According to Mr Atkinson, they interviewed over 300 people. And what did those interviews consist of? I am one of that number, but I don't consider I was ever interviewed. I'm aware Graham Stafford was also interviewed. It would be relevant and important to interview him, right? To see what else he may be able to tell the police about what happened on that week that Leanne Holland went missing and was murdered. To see if he has any information regarding other suspects. After all, police have not spoken to him in some 18 years. He would surely have some information that may help. I recently called Graham and asked him about his interview with the Queensland Police. I wondered whether he saw the need to have a solicitor with him or whether he refused to answer questions, as was his right. Here's what he said. For the review, Queensland Police interviewed over 300 people and you were one of them, correct? That's correct. Can you... Tell us, please, what happened when you were contacted by Queensland Police for the purposes of the review? Well, from from memory, it was um, Detective uh, Peter Roddick that contacted me and uh, asked if I uh, could uh, meet with him um, so they could uh, ask me uh, questions. And they said if I um, – I'm pretty sure they said if I um, wanted to, I could have um, – my solicitor uh, present with me, so I got in touch with Joe Crowley and we teed up a um, interview, well, a um, meeting at uh, the coffee club, at, I think it was Strathpine. And Peter Roddick and this other female detective turned up and sort of introduced themselves. I think her name was Sharon. And they asked if, uh, well, Either asked or told me they'd be recording the uh, process, which was fine. And to the best of my recollection, it's a few years ago now, but to the best of my recollection, it basically the questions revolved around where was my car, which seemed rather bizarre because they would have a better knowledge of where it went after um, I was locked up. Um, my sister uh, had it for a number of years after I went inside. And unfortunately, she uh, had a uh, an accident with a truck in it. And from that point, it wasn't worth repairing. So it ended up at uh, 
Bowles Auctions in Brisbane near the airport. And that's I've got a photo of that, and that's the last last time I'm aware of it. Don't know where it could okay. be. So the detectives were interested in the whereabouts of your car. Yes. Okay. Did they ask you about whether you had any further information regarding the murder of Leanne Holland? I don't have any real recollection of them asking that, but I, I would imagine that would have had to have uh, come up in conversation. Um, but there was very, very little substance in what they asked. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Joe's probably got a better recollection of it than I have. But, uh, yeah, it, it sort of seemed to revolve mainly around the um, whereabouts of the uh, Gemini. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure they must have probably asked that question. That, because this happened about 10 years ago, right? That's correct, yes. Yeah, 2010. Yes. So you don't have any real recollection of them asking if you could assist with the investigation more they're just focused on the whereabouts of your uh, the car that was supposedly had uh, Leanne's body in the boot of. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, okay. And you say the conversation went for about 15 minutes. Yeah, it wasn't a very, very long conversation at all. Okay. They, did they ever get you to sign a statement or anything, do you recall? No, I don't believe so. No, I didn't uh, sign anything. It was just a um, audio recording they had in the middle of the table and uh, then they left. Didn't uh, Did they suggest it occur at the police station or anything like that? Or whose idea was it to go to the coffee club? I'm not sure. I, I guess it, it wasn't mine. Um, so it was either uh, them or uh, Joe that uh, suggested that uh, we meet up there. I don't drink coffee, so... <laughs> Would... Would you have gone to a police station if they'd wanted you to? Yeah, I guess, yeah. It wouldn't have bothered me. Hmm. Just curious that they went to a coffee club and not a police station. There's, there's a police station not far from the uh, Strathpine Coffee Club. No. I guess it's probably uh, more informal there, but I don't know. don't know what the uh, yeah. motivation behind that was. Yeah. All right, Graham. thanks for your time. No worries. Thank you. There is no comment in the report about Leo Freni's review of the evidence and how the review addressed that evidence. You may remember Leo Freni was a scientist who said, in his opinion, the murder never occurred in the house and the body was never in the boot of the car. There are many other questions regarding what the Queensland Police did or didn't do during the police review. Here are some. How did they conclude death occurred before 4.30pm on the Monday when there is so much evidence that death likely occurred the following day? Did the review accept that the tyre impressions found at the scene did not come from Graham Stafford's car? Did the review accept it was not Graham Stafford's car sighted driving into the bush where the body was found? The review apparently concluded Leanne had not been burnt by cigarettes, but the marks were due to decomposition. They could have only reached that conclusion by examining the photos of the marks on Leanne's body. It's very relevant because you've heard a neighbour say she saw a burn on Leanne who confirmed it was a cigarette burn. And pedophile Pete was known to burn family with cigarettes and lighters. And now we hear that Sean McFedron did the same. And I am confident that for every expert who says the marks were not cigarette-related but decomposition, there will be an expert out there who will dispute it. And the same goes for the carvings on Leanne's body, which were initially described as peakerism, but have now been concluded to be decomposition. This is very relevant. 
Sean McFedrin had a fascination with the occult and Mark Thomas Noble was supposedly involved in putting marks on the body of the girl he killed near the beehives. And again I say I'm confident that for every expert who says the marks were not peakerism but decomposition, there will be an expert out there who will dispute that. It's probably noteworthy to say that usually where you have a high-profile case, there are experts lined up on the Crown side and there are experts lined up on the defence side. And the experts agree to disagree with each other. The Azaria Chamberlain case readily comes to mind, as does the case of OJ Simpson. This is the first case I've ever been associated with where the only experts involved are Crown-appointed experts who, up to the time of the review anyway, changed their position after the evidence was clarified. A panel of 12 scientists referred to as a forensic reference group engaged by the QPS to review the evidence, concluded there was more than one offender. That is inconsistent with the inspector informing the media conference in 2012 that Graham Stafford acted alone. Which is it? Did he do it by himself or did he have a a co-offender? The review apparently identified 16 persons of interest but were able to eliminate them all except for Graham Stafford. I think it is also a fair question to ask the extent that the investigators went to to eliminate the suspects. We have previously mentioned we were concerned and hoped that the police review covered the times after the period up to 4.30pm on Monday the 23rd of September. After all, death occurred on or about the 23rd, which means it could have occurred on the 24th. So any suspects had to be eliminated for that day as well. And this is the only example that's been given, so it's the only one we can work with. But Terry Holland was eliminated as a suspect because he was at work when his daughter went missing. Well, what about Tuesday? And other persons were eliminated because they did not have a driver's licence or did not own a car or a red car. Surely Queensland Police are not suggesting because someone didn't have a licence, they didn't commit the murder. On the surface of it, that is exactly what they are saying. So we say, let Graham Stafford's solicitors and the public read the review and establish exactly what they did and didn't do. One must wonder how the report went from being an open, accountable and available to all to none of those things. What changed so dramatically that made the Queensland Police become so defensive about the report? Queensland Police stand by the report and its contents, right? The report is truthful and accurate, I expect anyway. There is nothing in the report that could be considered misleading, right? One must wonder why the Queensland Police will go to such extraordinary lengths to prevent the release of the report. You will recall the former senior Queensland Police Officer Terry Goldsworthy commenting that it's bloody-mindedness on the part of the Queensland Police and refusing to release it. And what was the fallout of the report being leaked to the media? Nothing, actually. For an organisation that is so focused and ferocious when it comes to dealing with whistleblowers, no investigation that we are aware of was commenced in relation to the leaking of the review. But how could they? What do they do when they identify it came from a very senior member of their staff or the DPP? So after an initial investigation, numerous appeals and a two-year investigation, what are we left with? We qualify this by again repeating we are relying on what we have read about and heard regarding the review. No new eyewitness evidence that did not appear at the trial or the appeal. 
time of death still on or about the 23rd of September? What about the significant recalculations showing death to be more likely to have occurred on the 24th of September? The last confirmed sighting at 10.15am on the Monday. What about the at least four significant and major sightings after that time? You will recall the bank teller evidence. And the maggot. Three scientists say it was not possible to be in the boot. But it was. And it appears Leo Freeney's evidence was not addressed at all by the review. Was it just too hard? The various and contradictory findings by the forensic review group, for example, two offenders involved, not one. The group also said the body was not wrapped, the body was not held in the boot for a significant period of time, yet this is the basis of the police case. And if it wasn't wrapped, why was there not a lot more blood found on Graham Stafford's clothes, in the house, in the boot? It appears from comments made, movements of any alternate suspects were only investigated up to 4.30pm on the Monday. I have always said there are two victims in this mess. Leanne Holland, of course, and she is why we are doing this podcast, to identify her killer and bring her to justice. But Graeme Stafford is also a victim. He has served 15 years in prison. We, as a community, are entitled to know for sure whether he is guilty or innocent. I strongly believe the matter should go to the coroner to have an independent judicial party examine all the evidence and reach a conclusion, to have the findings of the police review tested by a court. That would be a fair outcome. What is not a fair outcome is that Graham Stafford should live the rest of his life in legal limbo. Not guilty, not innocent. If he is guilty, he will have to live with that shame for the rest of his life. And if he is innocent, he is entitled to compensation. A lot of compensation. I'll finish this chapter by repeating a comment I made at the start of the chapter. The finding that Graham Stafford was the killer of Leanne Holland was a very, very fortunate outcome for the Queensland Police. So does the police review pass the pub test? In our view, it is a fail. That's it for Chapter 13, The Pub Test. An alternate title is How to Conduct a Review and Keep the Results Secret Until Everyone Loses Interest and Moves On. I hope you have enjoyed it. Please join Jamie Poltz next time when he explores forensic flaws, which is particularly relevant because this case, as you know, is all about forensic evidence with some dodgy circumstantial evidence for good measure. Meanwhile, I'll be enjoying the sights and sounds of Western Queensland at that time. Until next time, thanks for listening. Have a good day. Or should I say as Ron Burgundy would, stay classy, Brisbane. Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. It was recorded, edited, and theme song by Jamie Poltz. This episode was mixed, mastered, and additional editing by Alex Rodier at Paperbark Studios. The music for this episode was entirely produced by Bubba Beats, and you can find him on SoundCloud or Instagram or Spotify. Just look for at Bubba Beats. If you like any of the sounds that you hear and you are a podcaster looking to make a true crime podcast, then you can purchase his sounds. All the links will be in the show notes. And a special thanks to my sister-in-law, Courtney, 
before drawing this chapter's cover up. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Who Killed Leanne Holland and also at 610 Media Group. Also head to our websites and you can read our blogs and see pictures at whokilledleanneholland.com and 610mediagroup.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, share us with your friends and don't forget to rate and review us. It does help. And a special thanks to Yamaha Music Australia, Audio Technica Australia, Zoom Australia, Isotope and Sound Theory. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.